This morning we're going to be talking about the end. The end. So I wanted to spend only one week, which is going to be a flat-out miracle to get through some of the things we're going to be talking about today. But I just want to spend one week on this because we're talking about different doctrinal studies. And, um, and there's a lot of people that have some common misconceptions about the end times and how things are going to go and some of the events. Now, the reason why we're going to be talking about this this morning is for one, one point is that um, I want you to really just understand a general order of how things are going to work with the, with the end times. And I gave you enough scriptures for you to look into. We're not going to be able to look all of them up this morning. Um, but for you to take those things and look them up later. Uh, but what I really want you to really think about as we work through this is we just talked about what over the past three weeks? The rapture. The rapture, the rapture of the church. Okay? So why, why is the rapture so important? Like, what, did you, what have you learned over the last couple weeks of why the rapture is important and why we talk about it? <coughs> just some practical stuff. Basically, God just said enough is enough. Boom, I'm bringing you home. Mm-hmm. And what's the importance of that? Okay, and that's why it's our point number one, talking about the rapture of the church. So it starts, kind of starts that clock in a way. What really starts the clock, according to Daniel chapter 9, is the signing of the peace treaty between the Antichrist and the nation of Israel. But it's that final event that has to occur before the tribulation. But practically speaking, what does that mean for you? Like, when you think about that, because, like, when, does it, when could the rapture occur? At any point in time. There is nothing left in the Bible to be fulfilled before the rapture would occur. Nothing. I mean... Just think about that. There's literally nothing left to be done before God says, all right, let's go home. What does that mean practically for you? Think about that. Yes. You have no idea when your last day is going to be on this earth. Not talking about death, talking about the rapture. I mean, death could occur too. But like you're coming at the very end. It could happen this afternoon. And so if that's the case then it should be a, a level of motivation for you to get up and actually start doing some work because you don't know how much time you have left. What else? That's a good one. What else? Okay, how? Yeah. Think back over this past week. What's the most unwise decision you made this past week? I mean, think about it for a second. And if you're having a hard time thinking because you have so many to pick from, then that's kind of a... I mean, if Christ were to come back in that moment, like think about you and your weakest this past week. If Christ were to come back in that moment, how would you feel about what he's finding you doing? Or would you be in a position where you're not even sure if he's going to call your name? Think about people that are going to be left behind. What kind of motivation about that when you start thinking about that? We've talked about this in, in, in months past, but think about this for a second. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians, and we're going to read this passage probably today, if we can get around to it. <clears throat> but it says, during that time, those that are here during the tribulation are going to be so deceived by what's going on that they're going to believe a lie that they may be damned. 
that they, because they believe not in the love of the truth that they might be saved. Now is the time for people to be saved. Now. Not during the tribulation. There are many people that think, well, when things get that bad, then I'll recognize what the Bible's saying and then I'll believe. No. Because the Bible says that God is going to send a strong delusion that they should believe a lie. So you should have more of a heart for people now. Because now is the moment for people to get saved. Now is the time for people to get right with God. We need to stop messing around. For some reason, and during this time of Laodicea, I think that we are playing around more than ever. I think that at the time where we should be more on our game, we are less prepared. I think if you were to go back 100 years, I think that the world would be a lot more godly and people are doing a lot more when it comes to the work of the Lord than they're doing now. That's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence. The enemy wants you to not do any work for the Lord. And it's not a coincidence that now at this time in history, there's more Christianity and godliness that have nothing to do with God and nothing to do with the Bible and nothing to do with Jesus more than ever. Now more than ever, people are going to church that think that they're fine when they're going to hell. Now more than ever, people that actually are saved are so demotivated to do the work of the Lord that nothing's getting done. Why do you think that is? Because we are at the 11th hour, right before the rapture, before the tribulation. So you need to think about that and think about that and not let the enemy have his way with you. I mean, think about that. That's huge. It's very important. And so you should have such a compassion for people that are lost, for Christians that are wayward, that you should actually go out and do something about it. You should. You should respond to conviction in your own life, obey, invite other people to church, initiate spiritual conversations with people. Share the gospel, share God's word and what you're learning with other people, if you're even learning anything, if you're even in God's word to begin with. This is so important. I feel like we're so blinded by all the stuff that's going on around us that we're just wasting so much time. We're wasting so much time. So that's why I want to talk about the end. And I want to talk about it in this fashion because I want you guys to be motivated to do the right thing. All right, turn to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. So we're going to start off here because this talks about the 70-week prophecy. Um, so Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, <laughs> Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. So go to Daniel. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Daniel. So the last big major prophet before getting into Daniel. Daniel chapter 9. <clears throat> <coughs> All right, so we spent some time already talking about this, so I'm not going to major on it, but the 70-week prophecy, just in a nutshell, God gave a timeline to Daniel about how there were 70 periods of seven years that God was going to determine upon the nation of Israel before he makes an end of all things. And you have 69 periods of seven years that occur in, in the Jewish history from the moment that uh, the commandment was, was spoken to rebuild Jerusalem up until when the Messiah walked through, actually rode through on the donkey before he was crucified on what we call Palm Sunday. It was exactly 173,880 days or 483 years. And once that occurred and he was crucified, the clock stopped. And so then there was this period of a parenthesis time called the church age that existed from that moment all the way up until now. So God's clock of the 70-week prophecy was just hit on pause until the signing of the peace treaty. And I'll show you where that, that's at. So go to verse 25. All right, so 
He says in verse 25 of chapter 9, he says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troubled times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. That's the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. But not for himself because he didn't die because he deserved it. He was an innocent man and he died for us. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. So right in between verse 26 and 27, you have this parenthesis time, and it's called the church age. Verse 27 begins the last portion of the 70-week prophecy. So that last seven-year period, that last week, this is what it, this is what it begins with. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation that, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. So that he there is confirming the covenant with many for one week is the Antichrist. And the reason why we know that's the Antichrist and not the Messiah is because of the context of what it says in verse 27, where it says, and in the midst of the week, that last week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. Now, we're going to talk about that here in a little bit. So we know the Antichrist signs this false peace treaty with the nation of Israel and with the world, frankly. And then in the middle of that week, so seven years, split it in half. What is that? Three and a half. So three and a half years go by, and he breaks the covenant, and he ends up destroying the nation of Israel and the rest of the world for that matter. All right? So that's kind of where we're jumping off. So... You have verse 26, and then in between verse 26 and 27, you have this whole period of the church age ending with the rapture. And then once the rapture occurs, then verse 27 can occur. You have the Antichrist signing this false peace treaty. And that's what begins the whole thing. So we've already talked about the rapture of the church in weeks past where we've already covered that one. And then number two, we're going to talk about the rise and the reign of the Antichrist. So we're already in Daniel. Look at Daniel chapter 8. Daniel chapter 8. <clears throat> so we know that he's going to sign this false peace treaty. Now take a look at this. Chapter 8 and verse 23. All right, and here goes. And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full, here it is, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. And his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power, because it's going to be from the devil. And he shall destroy wonderfully, and shall prosper and practice, and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. And through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand, and he shall magnify himself in his heart. And then look at this. And by peace shall destroy many. And he shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. Think about that for a second. How can the Antichrist, by peace, destroy many? Just think about it. Think about that and think about what's happening in our world today. Because you can see little elements of this going on right now in our world. By <laughs> peace, destroying many. Go ahead. 
trying to talk for God. Uh-huh. Okay. That could be part of it. Yeah. Jack? Like, um, confusion, thinking everything's okay when it's not okay, for certain Christians. Okay. Well, remember this during the tribulation, so Christians aren't going to be around, right? <clears throat> so let's think about this. Think about this. What's going on today with things like, let me give you an example, um, you know, stuff of like environmentalism, uh, global warming, um, Islam. Um, let's see, what else? Uh, even how, so, how crazy some of the liberals are getting even within our own country and around the world. Come on, come on, let's think. Anybody? All right, Jamie. Think about people that have more of a liberal mindset. Like, those of you that have been more conservative, have you ever gotten into an argument with someone that's very liberal? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know you have, Andy. <laughs> it's exhausting. What's, what's their approach? Yelling. Screaming. Come on, this, ha- this has to do with it, people. Come on. Go ahead, Rick. It's a lot of emotion with no facts behind it. But here's the other thing that I've found. When you're talking to people that have more, more of a liberal agenda and liberal line of thinking, you can't even reason with them, number one, because even if you bring up facts, it doesn't matter because their emotions are driving their, their feelings, their thoughts, and their opinions. But here's the thing I, also I found. If you have a person that is like, you know, let's say they believe like 15 different things. If you disagree with one of them, one of them, what will happen? They blow up. You have to comply to everything. And if you don't comply to everything that they believe, then what did they see you as? The enemy. The enemy. Oh, my goodness. Do you see that? Okay. So here's the deal. You have more and more of a liberal mindset happening within our world, within our own country, within our own culture, but all around the world. And if you don't comply with all 26,000 points of what they believe, what are they going to do to you? They will kill you eventually because they already want to in their heart. So it's only a matter of time before they take the step of actually physically doing it. And this is why a lot of us don't want to open up our mouth and talk about the gospel. But I'm telling you, they need to hear it. They need to hear it. And honestly, we've, we've talked about this before too. Even if they take that step and they murder you in the process, what's going to happen? You're going to go to heaven and they're going to go to jail. <coughs> right? And then maybe in jail, they'll meet Tim Clink. And then they'll get saved because they're going through discipleship in the jail. So, I mean, it's like a win-win. <laughs> I've never thought about that before. But here's, here's the deal. That mindset, that mindset is contagious. It is contagious. And it's not just going to be political. It's going to become very religious one day. Because political systems married to religious systems, by the way, there already is one. He's been around for thousands of years. Actually, she. I should say she, not he. It's called the Roman Catholic Church. It's the only, only religious institution that is also political. Have you ever thought about that? Thanks, Constantine. All right. So, the rise and the reign of the Antichrist. Through peace he shall destroy many. There's no doubt in my mind that he is going to cause other people to be killed because they are going against his theocracy, and I mean that on purpose, theocracy, because they are a threat. 
They are a threat. And it's going to happen, I tell you. Go over to chapter 11, Daniel chapter 11. Take a look at this about the Antichrist. Verse 21. Verse 21, here we go. And in his estate shall stand up a vile person to whom they shall not give the honor of the kingdom, but he shall come in peaceably and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. And with the arms of a flood shall they be overflown from before him and shall be broken, yea, also the prince of the covenant. And after the league made with him, he shall work deceitfully, for he shall come up and shall become strong with a small people. He shall enter peaceably even upon the fattest places of the province, and he shall do that which his fathers have not done, nor his father's fathers. He shall scatter among them the prey and spoil and riches, and he shall forecast his devices against the strongholds even for a time. And he shall stir up his power and his courage against the king of the south with a great army. And the king of the south shall be stirred up to battle with a very great and mighty army, but he shall not stand for they shall forecast devices against him. And there's more there too. But that also talks about the Antichrist. Now go over to Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. <clears throat> now this is going to be kind of our core passage. This is Matthew 24 and we're going to spend probably the rest of our time in those couple passages. Alright. So, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So, when you're talking about the Antichrist, just like with the rapture, there's a couple of chapters in your Bible that are very, very important to know. Like with the rapture, what two chapters? 1 Thessalonians, Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15. Very good. Now it comes to the Antichrist. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Very important. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And this next one's easy. Revelation 13. Revelation 13, lucky 13, all right? And it's interesting to even see what happens in Revelation 13, 13, which I don't know if we'll get around to today, but you can check that out later. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 13. All right, so let's just work, work through this one a little bit. <clears throat> so 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and take a look at verse 3. All right, let no man deceive you by any means for that day talking about the tribulation, the day of the Lord, shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Side note, if you were to look up the phrase son of perdition, you'll find some very interesting things in your King James Bible. Okay, moving on. All right, number four, verse four. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So that is the whole goal of the Antichrist. So that day is not going to come first, except there come a falling away first. That has not happened yet, although the seeds of it are happening because more and more people don't want to have anything to do with God. But during the tribulation, it's going to be even more so. He wants himself to be set up as this guy, and he's going to call himself God. And he says very specifically that he's going to put himself in the temple. So that means, very important, that right now in Jerusalem, where is the temple supposed to go? In Jerusalem. Come on, come on. This is stuff you gotta know. Gotta know. This is very important. If you want to pay attention to stuff that's going on in the last days, you gotta know this stuff. Jerusalem. Third Temple Mount thing. Okay, the Temple Mount. And what's on the Temple Mount today? The Muslim, there's a mosque, there's a Muslim mosque in the exact same position where the temple is going to be built. It's 
called the Dome of the Rock. So that means that that Dome of the Rock has to be wiped out. That mosque has to be taken out completely in order for the temple to be rebuilt upon that spot. Coincidence? No. You know what the people that follow Islam say? Well, it's a holy site. Okay, hold on a second. It's actually not. Because if you were to go through and, and study out the holy sites of Islam, what's number one? Mecca. Mecca, the big black cube that they have to make a pilgrimage to at least once in their lifetime unless they're too poor. You know what the Dome of the Rock is? It's like number three, four, or five, if that. And that means jack. Like, according to Islam, in order to go to heaven, you have to go to Mecca. You don't have to go to the Dome of the Rock and worship at that mosque. What? That's ridiculous. That's not part of Islam. But yet it's so important to them that they won't let the Jews have it. There's a reason. <coughs> There's a reason. The devil is using Islam to keep the temple from being built until he's ready. Because the temple has to be built because the Antichrist, Satan himself, has to sit down upon the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies and he's going to call himself God. Okay? Very important. He's going to defile the whole sanctuary in the temple. And by the way, all the materials and everything, like everything, literally everything for the temple, it exists today. It's sitting in a warehouse in Jerusalem that as soon as they are given the green light, they have everything that they need, everything, everything that they need to build that temple and start instituting sacrifices again. For a long time, there's one piece that they're missing. Anybody know that one? The red heifer. The red heifer is very important. The red heifer has to be killed, and it's part of the process of creating you know, the anointing oil and some of the other things they use to purify the temple and all the instruments. They have not been able to produce a red heifer, a solid red heifer, until the last, like, I think there's been two in the last ten years. And maybe the last one was born, I think, what was it, maybe a year ago? Like that, two years ago, something like that. So they literally have everything they need to build the temple to sanctify the temple and start reinstituting sacrifices according to the Levitical law. Everything's there. We're close, people. We're super close. So the Antichrist wants to set himself up as God in the temple. And that's what the Bible talks about, this abomination of desolation. Whenever you hear about that in the scriptures, that's what it's talking about. The event where the Antichrist actually puts himself on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant, and he says, I am God. That God that you worshiped back in, the, back in the desert, where you sacrificed, you came in once a year, that was me. He's going to do all of that. He's going to claim himself to be God himself. Verse 5, remember ye not when I was yet with you, I told you these things? So Paul already said this stuff. And now ye know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Now, this is very important. Very important. So, um, hold your spot here, and I want you to open up to Revelation, or not Revelation, Matthew 24. So, we're going to come back to the Second Thessalonians in a minute. But I want you to see this in Matthew 24, because Matthew 24 actually gives you an overall timeline of the events of the tribulation. <clears throat> And it's not a coincidence that God put it in Matthew because Matthew is the, is the gospel written to who? The Jews. So when you have Jews that are going to be walking around during the tribulation, and Gentiles, frankly, but mainly Jews, and they open up some of our Bibles that belong to us after we were raptured, by the way. That's one of the reasons why I also want to take very good notes in my Bible because I don't know who's going to be picking up my Bible and reading it during the tribulation. Just as a side note. 
And so they're going to come along and they're going to read Matthew because after you read through the Old Testament, according to a Jew, then what's the first book that they read? Matthew. Because that's the first book in your New Testament. Okay, right? You all with me? Okay. All right, and then as they're reading through the book of Matthew and they get to chapter 24, look at this. <clears throat> Verse 1. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See... Ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming, and the end of the world? And then he proceeds to tell them exactly what's going to occur during the last days, and exactly what they need to be looking for. So this deals with point number three, the tribulation. So he explains in Matthew 24, verse 4 through 14, the first three and a half years. So the first three and a half years, he's now going to describe this to them. Let's just go ahead and read through it. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they shall deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my namesake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this is the gospel of the kingdom. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. So for the first three and a half years, people that are Jewish and people that are not willing to take the mark of the beast, frankly, are going to be persecuted. And it says that because iniquity abounds, many the love of many shall wax cold. And it also talks about how there's going to be many people that are going to be offended and they're going to betray one another and they're going to kill one another. Sound familiar? Everything is getting set up. The political climate that's going on in our nation and in our world today, everything is getting set up just closer and closer and closer and closer to Jack the Antichrist. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Everything's being set up. Everything. Why do you think people are so offended today? Because the Bible's true. Yeah. People are being so offended today because the Antichrist is slowly manipulating the entire world and the climate of all of our political systems, our social systems, our economies, and everything to be at the right moment so he can pull the trigger. Because how in the world is he going to unite the entire world under his authority? The conditions have to be just right. I mean, just right. You guys know how to kill a frog, right? Drown. You could. Warm it up. You warm it up slowly. Put it in a pot. If you put it straight in hot water, the frog's going to be like, get me out of here! Right? And that's like a lot of us when we read Revelation. Man, things are going to be nuts. I can't, I don't want to be alive during that time. But yet, here we are sitting in this pot of water and the heat is slowly just turning, turning, turning. And the changes are happening so gradually that no one knows what's going on. No one knows what's going on unless you believe your Bible. So that's the first three and a half years. 
And it says in verse 13, this is why we know this is the tribulation, but he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. There's a lot of people that use that as the condition for salvation, that the church will go through the tribulation, and if you make it through, then you'll be saved. Baloney. That's not what it's talking about here. It's talking about literal salvation. Like if you are fortunate enough to be alive and make it through seven years, and you actually do what the Bible says, then you're not going to be wiped out. Because even if someone survives all the way through the tribulation at the very end, but they didn't do what the Bible says, what happens at the second coming? What happens when Jesus shows up? He kills them. He kills them, so they did not endure into the end. So only those that are alive at the end of the tribulation are those that are... They made it. They didn't die, number one. And number two, they did what the Bible says. And so when Jesus shows up and they're judged at the judgment of nations, which shows up in Matthew 25, it's the next chapter over, then they're going to be allowed into the millennial kingdom. That's the only way anyone's going to make it through. So truly, he that endures unto the end shall be saved. Okay? So that's what that verse is talking about. There's a lot of people that jack that up big time. I keep saying jack and I keep thinking of you. It's like a negative thing and I keep thinking of you. My apologies. I'll have to think of another one. They keep salmon it up. No, it does. <laughs> it depends. All right. Okay. All right. So that's the first three and a half years. Okay. But then there's something else that occurs here. There's something that happens at the halfway mark. And I don't have time to really show you this, but go back real quick to 2 Thessalonians. So hold your spot, Matthew 24, and go back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I want you to see this. So if you look up the verses that I've supplied for you, you'll be able to see this. So I'm not going to have time to prove it, but I want you to just hear this out. All right. So, verse 7. We already just read verse 7 of 2 Thessalonians 2. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let. Now, that's a term that we don't use anymore in our English vocabulary. Letting here, we tend to think of like um, uh, to let someone. So, you allow someone. Okay, So, that is true in that sense. But this means that he's holding it back until he allows it to happen. Okay? So there is a person called a he that is now holding something back until he allows it to happen until he be taken out of the way. Okay? This is the Antichrist. He's holding all his cards back until it's the right time to play them out. That's what he's doing. And there's one thing that has to occur. He has to be taken out of the way. What? The Antichrist has to be taken out of the way? Yes. The Antichrist must be taken out of the way. There's an event that's going to occur, and it's in your references of Revelation 13.3 and 13.14, where the Antichrist is going to be assassinated at the halfway point of the tribulation. So after three and a half lunar years, you have the halfway point, and he is going to be assassinated. There's an assassination attempt where he is wounded and he is killed. And then he raises himself up from the dead. Shocker? No, he's called the Antichrist. So he's going to do what Christ did but he's the antithesis of it. So he is going to rise himself from the dead, and when he rises himself from the dead, it is going to be the devil who is going to be in him, possessing him, controlling him. And when that occurs, the whole world will worship him. That's what Revelation 13, just read it. I'm not making this up. Revelation 13 lays this out very, very clearly. He's wounded as if he's killed. And then he rises from the dead and everybody worships him as the Messiah. And he's going to use that to go back in the scriptures and different things like Isaiah 53 that talks about the death and the resurrection of the Messiah. And he's going to take that and he's going to apply it to himself. He's going to do that. And there's other passages that he's going to use that was actually Jesus, but he's going to apply it to himself. 
So, and that's why it says, only he who now letteth the let until he be taken out of the way. And then look at verse eight. And then shall that, what is it? Wicked with a capital W. Capital W, proper noun. Then shall that wicked be revealed. That is whatever body the Antichrist has is going to be possessed by the devil. There's more I can talk about that too, but I won't. Whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. So God is going to destroy him, but then shall that wicked be revealed. So halfway through, he's going to be assassinated and he's going to rise from the dead. Now go back to Matthew 24. Matthew 24. And then you have the last three and a half years, which is called in the Bible according to Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 7, the time of Jacob's trouble. And the time of Jacob's trouble is when things are going to go from bad to worse. Like they thought it was bad before, now it's going to get massively worse. Massively worse. And that starts off in Matthew 24 and verse 15. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. I love how God does stuff like this. Like right at very important parts, he just throws things in, his pa- in this passage, in the scriptures, where it causes you to stop and to think. So when the Antichrist goes in to the temple, sits upon that throne, calls himself God, that is the abomination of desolation, and he says, when ye see this, when you are going to see this, then, verse 16, let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. And we talked about that already in a few weeks ago where God will literally shorten the days. They're going to go from 24-hour days to how many? 16. Because it'll be shortened by a third. And that's because the sun and the moon and the stars are all going to be smitten by a third. And so it's going to go from 24-hour days to 16-hour days. And God meant that literally. If those days were not shortened, then no flesh would be saved. So it's almost like you have a first three and a half years where you have 360 days of 24 hours and then three and a half years of that. And then halfway through, it's not going to be 24 hours anymore. Now it's going to be 16. But then you have 360 lunar days, three and a half of those, of it being only 16-hour days. Pretty crazy. Then, if any man shall say, verse 23, unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before, Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Then verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, so at the very end of the three and a half years, right before Jesus Christ comes back and wipes out the earth, shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light? And the stars shall fall from heaven, 
and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. What is that? We just talked about that last week. What is that? No. Come on, what are we talking about? There's three parts of the rapture. The gleanings, which are who? People in the tribulation. People in the tribulation that get right with God. The 144,000 witnesses. Other people that have listened to their message and they've repented. They've not received the mark of the beast. Right before the second coming, Jesus is going to come in the clouds and he's going to circle the earth. This is crazy. And it says all the tribes of the earth are going to mourn. Everyone's going to mourn. They're going to wail because they're going to see the Son of Man. And as they see the Son of Man in the sky, they're going to hear a trumpet and they're going to see people get out. And as soon as people get out, then he comes back on the white horse and he takes everything out by force. It's what's going to happen. It's crazy. That's Revelation 1.8 too. It's the same thing. Wherever you see the Son of Man in heaven with clouds, with clouds, with clouds, that deals with not the second coming, but the tribulation rapture. When you see Christ come back on a horse touching the planet, then that's the second coming where everything is wiped out. And there's little passages that you'll find in the Old Testament. Anytime you see God with clouds, it's always in reference to the, almost the, like that last part right before the second coming. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. All right. And then after that, then you have the return and the reign of Jesus Christ. And that proceeds to tell us more details about that in Matthew 24, which we don't have really a whole lot of time to look at this morning. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. You have the return and reign of Jesus Christ. You have this occur. So he has the rapture. The tribulation saints are raptured out. And then he comes back and he wipes everything out. And when he wipes everything out, he's going to set up his kingdom and rule and reign for a thousand years. And then it says very clearly that after the thousand years are over, then what's going to occur? Yep, he's loosed. He's going to deceive the world and gather a giant rebellion against Christ. And then God's going to do what? Wipe him out. And it's not even going to be a slight effort whatsoever. He goes out and he deceives the whole world. These people that have been, they've seen Jesus Christ with their own two eyes for a thousand years. They've been under the literal physical reign of Jesus Christ. As soon as the devil is loosed, he goes out and he's able to deceive almost everyone again. Not everyone, but almost everyone. There's going to be a massive multitude of people. And they're going to surround Jerusalem and surround the throne. And God's going to be like, all right, let's do this again. He calls fire down from heaven. And then after that, it says that the heaven and earth flood away. There's found no place for them. And you have the great white throne judgment. And then everyone, all the dead, small and great, stand before God. Death and hell deliver up the dead that are in them. The seed delivers up the dead that are in them. And every man is judged according to their works. And then the last verse of that chapter says what? 2015. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And once that final judgment takes place, then God takes some time and he remakes the entire universe and everything, wipes out the seas, brings down new Jerusalem that he's been preparing for a long time, which is where we're going to dwell for those of us that are born again. And then after those occur, you have the nations that make it through that final judgment and they're allowed to go into the tree of life and partake of the tree of life to wipe away their sin nature and live forever and ever. And then there's going to be no more death, nothing. Populate the entire planet, populate the entire universe, 
and the universe full of light because God is now there. So it's important for us to know the big picture because we are at the very end. We're at the very end of the church age, right before these things get catastrophically massive. People's souls matter. What you do on a daily basis matters. And it's hard because I know day in and day out, it may make us feel like things are just kind of going the way that they have been and that we're going to be here forever. We're not. I mean, even since I've been in high school and I've been in college and I've seen the things that have transpired over these last 15 years and I see what's occurred, I mean, things are slowly and slowly and slowly getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Don't be part of the problem. Don't be part of those that are just continually being deceived and they forget these things of the Bible and then the things that you choose to do with your life, your time, your money, everything just goes to the wayside because you're thinking all about you. God wants you to start thinking about others and the people around you because the people around you today very well could be alive when the tribulation begins. And if there's one thing that they need to know, it's this. They need to know the truth. Now, many are not going to believe you but that's no reason for you to quit. Most will not believe you. But that is no reason to back down on having a heart for these people. God does. If God quit, we wouldn't be here. You ever thought about that? Like if God quit and said, you know what, I'm done. I'm done. We wouldn't be here. But we're here. So God has a heart for them. So we should too. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. All right, let's pray. God, thank you so much for the things that you've taught us today and the things that you are showing us in the future. And I pray that even as next week we talk about prayer and uh, our prayer life and what that should be. Um, I mean, we even spend a few weeks talking about that, that we would really take these things to heart, that we would exercise our relationship with you and really want to draw near to you uh, for the sake of others and the future and the things that are going to occur. Give us sober minds and sober hearts and help us to make wise decisions. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.